the question is again terminally ill patients should we pray for them second secondly if we do pray for them what should our prayer be if you pray they should be healed so we have a problem as we're going to see soon you're not as we discussed in Parshas Vayishlach you're not supposed to pray for a miracle um, so what are you doing if the, uh, this person has uh, stage 6 cancer and there's such a thing whatever the final stage is the cancer and you're praying for them so basically you're asking God to perform a miracle the doctor said there's no chance that this person can be healed period so, the, so uh, can you even pray for the healing that's question number one question number two is let's say you can't pray for the healing what should you should you pray at all should you pray what are the options here should we pray that they should die if someone's suffering greatly and again they can't be healed so are we allowed to pray for someone's death maybe that should be the issue meaning everyone agrees as we'll see that uh, you can't actually um, do an action to to uh, foreshorten their life that's prohibited even if they're suffering greatly you're not allowed to do anything which will make them die okay um, that's surely prohibited but but that's that's actionable that's a that's called murder in Jewish law um, even if it's for with good intent because you want the inheritance um, but but uh, but one second so so that's uh, we're not going to discuss that we're not going down that uh, rabbit hole the, the what we'd like to discuss is what about praying for someone to die is that permitted yes the phrase refuah Right. kind of implies that if you can get them better, get them better if you can't make it peaceful and quick. Um, I don't see where the implication is, but explain. Shalem stuff. I mean, no, shfur shalem means a complete healing. On the contrary, you're asking should be healed. Well, the Again, well, in most cases, it's in, most, in many cases, miraculous. Uh, that's pushing it, well, but I hear uh, that could be your uh, maybe kavana that that's possible. Okay. Well, <laughs> so I, think there, there's also, I, I don't know if the words imply it. There's also an intermediary stage. You can, rather than pray for them dying, you could pray for relief of their suffering. You know, nowadays you can relieve most people's suffering without killing them. Mm-hmm. You can't relieve the existential suffering. You know, I'm a burden to somebody. I'm losing self-control. I'm losing my sense of self. But there's plenty in between a refuah shleima right, yes, and that's dead. That's what we're going to discuss. Yes, right. Um, Meaning, what is the refuah shleima in that in a specific case? Is it the patient should die? As you're saying, so it's a good point. Because you're saying maybe the refuah, the healing in this case, is death, or or peace, or no pain. Right. Okay. Or pain free. No, I'm saying, but they can live. If we can get into the stage of living pain free, pain free, even though there's no way to heal them is that something that we should pray for meaning so it's, a, it's a very basic question in and a very complicated question because it gets to the core of what is healing as you're saying sometimes doing is is that called healing taking away someone's pain but they're still living a life you know it's also what is suffering what is suffering what is healing what's the purpose of healing what's the purpose of prayer and what's the what's our obligation as, f- as family, as friends, as, you know, is there a difference between family and friends of what we might want for the patient? And the, the main concern is also, as we're going to see, you have to be very careful of uh, what we call negiut, which means you're biased as a family member, and uh, you have to, you're going to be the caretaker, or you're going to be very involved, and it, it can, many times you're thinking about your own life. Um, selfishly because you've been taking care of this person for they have a terminal illness or chronic illness they're taking them for so many years it can have an effect on your family and your life and then there's also monetary concerns many times so how does that does that affect your prayer 
there's no question it does in what your intent is. So my, my intent might not be what's always best for the patient, might be just as uh, insurance companies, might be what's best for my pocket or for my, or for my li- life, which I can't, uh, I don't want to have to quit my job to take care of my mom or my grandmother. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of issues here. So, so the, the, f- the first, again, the, the, again, there's two main issues which need to be addressed off the bat, which is we don't pray for miracles. So therefore, there's, it's inherently a problem to pray for someone's healing when the da- is it? In a, it's a question. Sorry, let's pose it as a question. We is do it. it in, we it do it. We give the names. On, 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 uh, we do a lot of things. That. It doesn't mean it's right. You know, people eat not kosher. Doesn't mean it's right. Right? Doesn't meaning uh, we're talking about what is the right thing to do. In That's shul, in a, I understand. So shul. things they do in shul, I can tell you a lot of things that are problematic. Depends which shul you go to. Most shuls. Okay. So you need to know. Well, the question is, what is the correct thing to do? And we're saying there's inherently a problem here because we discussed in the past. Gemara in the end of Sechta's Brachas says very clearly, you can't. It's prohibited to pray a false prayer. That means you can't ask God to change nature. Okay, now if the doctors are saying this is a terminal illness, there's no chance, no one has ever recovered from this. In essence, that's what you're asking for. God, you're asking God to go back to the future, or back to whatever, to when the person was healthy, which is a miracle. So is that called praying for a miracle? And therefore it would be prohibited to pray um, for someone, or to put them on a Mishabach list, where it's, they're going to die, it's a terminal illness. That's the question. Yeah. Yeah, you understand, of course. I mean, yeah. Yeah. When the doctors say there's no chance you? of cure, it's sure. very unlikely you're going to have a unanimous opinion that yeah. there's zero chance. All right, so that's a very good point. So Shelley's saying doctors are there's many opinions. They're fallible. Yeah. They're, they're not like rabbis. Doctors are fallible, <laughs> and and um, and therefore, so even if the doctor might be telling you there's no chance of survival, that doesn't mean they're not going to survive. Um, it has happened before. As a matter of fact, I saw. So, oh, actually, when you're in hospice today, you're gonna die. Okay, we're not talking about that. I don't That's know anybody else. who survived hospice. Uh, okay. They might have gone survived. For maybe six they sh- maybe you shouldn't put them at the hospice. Yeah, no maybe one they lived for ten yeah. months. Where they're supposed Sorry? to live um, two. Maybe they live for ten months when they're supposed to only live for two. You know, many so people. Didn't you say that the first time? I don't know. Many look. There are people. This is this happens often. You have people who have, say, pancreatic cancer, which is uniformly fatal, and they say, "I want to live to see my granddaughter graduate from college." Of course, say, and that's eighteen months from now. I say, "Well, it's very unlikely," and they do it anyway yeah. because that's okay, just. So let's start. With, start if you start with this page, praying for a miracle. So once you mention, we'll start with that. So it says. Um, um, Rabbi Kivager, just just to show you that it, you know that we discussed the Gemara in the past, well, in, uh, like a year or two ago, that says don't pray for miracles. You can't. We we although we believe in miracles again, Judaism believes in miracles, but we don't ask God for miracles. There's a question: what exactly what that means? Miracles are daily with us. Um, um, yes. Listen, all healing is miracle, miraculous. One can make that. All absolute miracle. But but. Uh, we could do all. Uh, anytime you get a person get healed, it's a miracle. But again, that doesn't mean a miracle means a miracle means that that listen, many. You know what I'm saying? A miracle means that you're 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 asking to God to change the laws of nature. Okay, that's like a miracle the whole means. boat. That was your yeah. example. Right. Meaning, the, no, the example, the Mishnah's example is we discussed then is if you're coming, you're driving home, you see a fire truck turn down your street. Mm. You can't pray that it's not your house. Because the fire started already, clearly. The fire truck's on the way. So that means you're asking God to take the fire, 
you know, like in the movies, and, and put on the on the name. <laughs> right, that doesn't. We don't. Can you believe? You can hope whatever you want, yeah, but I'm saying to pray to ask God that. To, to say it's not my house. You can't do that at that point. Same thing if someone's wife is pregnant. The Mishnah says it's prohibited to pray for the gender of the baby because we know today can the, the gender is decided at conception. So you, you're asking God to change nature. That doesn't work. Not it doesn't work. You're not supposed. That's called a tefillat shav. It's called a full false prayer. And the same thing here. So the question is, does this fit in the same category when someone is terminally ill? The doctors are saying there's zero chance of survival. Can I pray for them to be healed? Because, in essence, you're telling God, so you want a miracle to happen. <laughs> you drink too much caffeine this morning. Usually you don't drink enough today. You drink too much. So look, I didn't so even get to ask my question. <laughs> One second. No, I want to let you forget. He reads your moment. No, no, no. Um, so, <coughs> well, can't you just pray for relief of pain instead of that yes, they die? Was done. But even that, maybe it's better they should die. What happens in a situation where, first of all, not every case can you get them out of their suffering. And maybe that alone, even without pain, sometimes living a life uh, where there's zero quality of life, that's also called suffering. A person can't speak, he can't eat, he can't. So, so sh- sh- maybe that, meaning even if you can get them out of their actual physical pain, or but, but there's emotional pain, there's, there's many other things. So who said we should pray for him to live at all? That's the question. So what, what should be the prayer? But in this case, praying for a miracle, just I want to show you, it's also brought Karafan Alacha, Rikiv Eger, in amendment to the Shulchan Aruch, in his notes. It says, Ali Talel Adam, number one on the side, that says praying for a miracle. You got it? You have one of these? Pass him one of these. No, not that one. The wrong sheet. Um, it says, Rikiv uh, Eger, who's uh, lived... 19th century says a person should not pray for something that is not go, not according to that goes against nature of course our belief is God could do anything God could change nature but still he says um, he says for example you know this guy is a farmer he can't pay the rent because Trump cut all the subsidies, whatever the case is, and to the farmers, and, and whoever cut them. And now the, his trees are not giving out fruit. He has to wait till the next season. So he asked God, listen, make me a miracle. My, my trees should bloom before the season, before they're supposed to bloom. Because i got to pay the mortgage. Says Ricky Vega, that's prohibited. Okay, so, so again, it's very clear. Praying for something that's against the laws of nature is prohibited. Um, uh, Moshe Feinstein also rules the quote here um, that a person can't pray for an ace, quoting the Gemara. Okay, so now, um, so here, yeah, so so interestingly enough, so I found this book written by a chaplain in Cedar Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles, who's an Orthodox fellow who happens to meet at a conference. So he has a book called The Jewish Guide to Practical Medical Decision Making. So he quotes three things that to answer this question from different rabbis that he's discussed it with. One is, the, he's quoting Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, which he didn't discuss it with, but before his time, he says the prayer should be not that you're praying for a miracle. Rather you pray that the patient be miraculously cured, uh, rather than praying that the patient be miraculously cured, one should pray that the cure, a cure be found for the disease. That's something you can pray for. That's one option. You can pray, listen, the guy has uh, this type of cancer, there's no cure. Pray that we should find a cure for cancer. And, or the NIH should, uh, um, or whoever it is, FDA, should, should allow this medicine that in trial to be, uh, to be approved quickly. What? That's one, that's one prayer, he says. Such prayer would be permitted. See this? 
Yeah. Says it does not besiege God to alter the natural order, but rather assumes the cure must already exist in nature. It's just waiting to be discovered. Okay, so that's one one uh, choice. He then brings, um, he says, he quotes that Shlom uh, Zaman Orbach actually said that it's prohibited to pray for someone who's terminally ill, as we'll see that they should be healed. So the, he told this to, uh, someone told to Rebchaim Kinevsky, and he quoted his brother-in-law, the Chazan, his um, Oh, to Rabbi Kanievsky is the father, his brother-in-law, the Chazanish, Rabbi Yaakov Kanievsky, who was asked this question. And he says the Chazanish responded, and this is what Shelley said before, that he knew of a rabbi who was told by his physicians he would live only a short while longer, but who then went on to live another 30 years. So sometimes, despite a dire prognosis, a person can indeed live much longer. And as physicians, and even as lay people, I think we know many people like this, the doctor said there's no chance, and they're living... Ten years after the doctor gave them six months. So, there, so, so therefore, when you're not asking for a miracle. Uh, the miracle means changing the laws of nature. Within nature, for somehow we see that people, even when a doctor, as Shelley mentioned, has zero, uh, gives a prognosis of, of no chance of survival, there are many people, there's that 1% or 3% who do make it through, not 3%, 1%. Okay, whatever it is, but so that's not asking for a miracle. That means I want to be from the one percent. Okay, but I want to be from the one percent. I want to be part of what's the the two percent is what's the you go to hospital. No, I'm talking about the one percent. The one percent. No, you know when they say monetary. One percent as well. That's true. I pray every day I should be of the one percent. So, so that's what we're saying here. You know, doesn't get my job. Is it nice to pray that your doctor is wrong? Oh, yes. Well, that's number yes. three. We didn't say that. The doctor is wrong in this instance. Listen, save a life. You can pray your doctor is wrong. Nothing wrong with uh, praying. When was the last time a doctor said there's absolutely 100% likelihood you will die? I mean, my other brother in law had ALS, they told him. Well, how long? They gave him yeah, right. Years. He went. Everyone's going to die. We're all going to die. That's your practice. So, so, so he says, sometimes despite a dire prognosis, a person can indeed live much longer. Yeah, that's not praying for a miracle, but simply that the doctors are wrong. Listen, I, I'm praying that my doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. That's, uh, that's, that's surely not out of the realm of nature. I've met many doctors. Jesus <laughs> um, uh, can pray for a cure. It's just the same thing. That's number one. There's three different answers here. One is Yaakov Kamenevsky, who says, pray for a cure. Um, even though there's no cure exists currently, but the assumption is cure is being worked on somewhere in, in uh, you know, whatever, in uh, some lab. Okay. Number f- two is um, from a Yaakov Kanievsky. You know, the doctor the would say that praying for the doctor to be wrong is praying for a miracle. Depends which doctor. Depends which doctor. Depends which doctor. Good point, but... What are doctor? We're, we're not talking about the doctors in this room. <laughs> okay, so so number, well, they're praying, well, they don't want to be wrong also because of lawsuits and, you know, things like that. So, so, um, the, the, so number two is Yaakov Kanievsky, who was the brother of the Chazanish, quoted his, the Chazanish as saying, doctors could be wrong too, they're not God, and therefore you're not praying for a miracle, you're praying that maybe the doctor's wrong in this case, hopefully the doctor's wrong. Okay, number five, which is really number three of these answers. So Jason Wiener, again, um, says, even at the prayers, this is something I'm not sure, this is getting into the whole aspect of prayer, which I don't want to get into. But he says, even at prayers, they're not results. So we believe, so this really gets what we sort of mentioned on, touched on last week, which is, what's the purpose of prayer? Listen, because I'm going to pray, I'm going to come to Shul and put his name on a Misha Berkeley, so all of a sudden magic's going to happen and 
and he's going to be healed, like you're changing God's mind. If he deserves to die, he's going to die. If he doesn't deserve to die, right? Like, the whole concept of prayers, so we're not going to get into that. But he's saying that the, the, one of the basic beliefs of Judaism is that, that um, prayer is not for God. We're not changing God's mind. It's really for us. The idea is to, to, to increase our relationship and improve our relationship with Hashem. Hopefully then that will help us. And that the merit of coming closer to God is really the purpose of prayer. So really, so the belief is, and this is a story I tell many times in my prayer class, which is, a, if you remember, actually, was, I think it was, I just saw something in the news about him yesterday, it was his yard side. It was a soldier, Nachshon Waxman, who was kidnapped in one of the first kidnappings by Hamas in uh, the West Bank many years ago. His mother's Esther, right? She, she speaks a lot yeah, about it. Yeah, she speaks publicly. So anyways, mm-hmm. the soldier was kidnapped. The, everyone was praying for him. It was one of the first uh, Hamas kidnappings. This is in the 86 or something like that. Look it up. So the, the literally, I mean, I remember I was in high school. or I don't remember where I was, but even in America, every school, every Jewish school was praying for him, and they knew where he was. And then basically... After like uh, four or five days, three days, they gave a deadline. Three days, four or five days. Literally the whole world. I mean, there was secular, uh, religious Israelis, thousands of people at the Kotel praying for this guy. The president, I mean, it was unbelievable. It's a beautiful sight. And then the Israelis made a rescue operation, and uh, they, he was killed. They tried to rescue him. Um, and uh, he was killed. The soldier was killed in the rescue operation. Right. They killed him. So they interviewed the father. And I remember, I'll forget this. Or the mo- I think it was the mother or the father. And uh, on Israeli TV. And they said, how could it be? The whole thousands, hundreds of thousands of people across the world were praying for your son. And, and he was killed. How do you, as a religious person, how do you reckon with that? That's the answer during the shiva. They asked the parent. So he said, he said, what he said was, he says, you know, I believe that God is our parent. And sometimes the parent says no. You know, there are times the parent says, no, we don't understand. And as a child, we don't understand why the parent's saying no. Sometimes it's for the better, and the parent says, no, that's what the father has during Shiva. Which was blew my mind as a young person, then, to see the faith of this person. So, so in, our, in the concept of prayer, we're not supposed to believe, you know, it's even in general, the belief of Hashem, that's a big question, in faith. What does faith mean? So some simple interpretation of faith is, everything, uh, God, you know, everything will be good. That's wrong, you know, not everything in life turns out good. The, the Chazanish actually, actually explains what is faith in general. Faith means that I believe that whatever happens, Shem knows what he's doing, that there's someone in control. Whether it's, it might, I might view it as bad. My perception might be it's a bad outcome. Faith doesn't mean that everything in my life will turn out great. Most people's lives don't turn out their dream life, right? It doesn't work like that. Faith means that I trust in Hashem enough that whatever happens at the end of the day, he knows what he's doing and there's a reason why that happened. That's what faith is. So the same thing here. So he's saying one thing, uh, it's very important. So he's saying, so again, what Kinevsky saying in number five here on the page, is that we believe that all our prayers have some, they're, they're something, they're doing something. We might not, again, first of all, number one, God might not answer the prayers the way we want them, but he knows better what's better for us. Sometimes we might think uh, we want the Ferrari. God thinks it's better for us not to have the Ferrari. Okay, so that doesn't mean he's not answering our prayers. Other than contrary, he knows better, just like a parent, and therefore he's giving, he's doing what's best for us. You know, we don't always know what's best for us. That's one way of looking at it. Plus, there's a belief also in the concept of prayer that every prayer it says is collected. It might not be used in this case, but it will help somewhere in the cosmos for something else. So your the prayer is working. So therefore, says uh, number five, he says, 
he says, uh, even if the prayers do not result in any change at all in the patient's condition, they're nevertheless a source of merit for him or her. So it will help their soul, whatever that means, in the metaphysical him or her world. Him person prayed for the yeah. person during the praying? No, well, the, the patient. It's, okay. it's a merit for them, even if they're not going to live and the prayer is not answered. So uh, all of those who prayed around heavenly compassion through their prayers were uttered specifically because of this individual. So you have, say in this case of National Waxman, or you have thousands, hundreds of thousands of people across the world praying, so even though he, he ended up dying, but those, pray, those prayers came about in his merit, so to speak. So these merits will stand by the individuals. This is more of a metaphysical thing, which I don't understand. It's, it's beyond my pay scale, but uh, it's uh, more Kabbalistic. But this is uh, an important concept. These merits will stand by the individual in the world to come. They also protect his or her offspring in the future, and thus, and they thus have incredible value. So therefore, um, and then he says, finally, Kinevsky says, these prayers can bring recovery to other individuals and to the community as a whole. So this, again, it's metaphysical. I'm not going to get into it, but that gets the heart of what prayer is, which is a major topic. Um, in general, nothing to do with medicine, generally speaking, so we're not going to focus on that. But, but here you have at least three options of why you can pray even though someone is terminally ill or, and, and what you can pray for. And we'll say, discuss get, more. Yeah. You get good brownie points if you pay someone to say Kaddish for you? Um, if you, you get, get or the dead person, for you, He's saying that the dead person or you? No, for the dead person. The, the dead person get brownie points. Yeah. One second. Who's? Um, I'm confused. How many people we have here? One dead person, Does two white people. If you paid the guy to say the kaddish for the dead person? Yeah, I mean the point is uh, the kaddish is not a prayer for the dead, as we know. Kaddish is again it's a similar concept, which is. The fact, usually, that's why it's supposed to be done by offspring, is because, is because what, what a person, when a person moves on to the next world, so they can't do mitzvah anymore, they can't get any more brownie points, as you're saying. The only way they can accrue, uh, keep on accruing merits is if they left something in this world which is doing good. So they built a yeshiva, so now people are studying that building, so that's still accruing merits. They give charity and they left over a fund that's still giving charity you know, uh, some perpetual fund, that's unbelievable. So their soul is still looking <coughs> at The other way is if they left <coughs> offspring who are hopefully somewhat Jewishly observant and doing good things in the world, so they created that in this world. So therefore their creation is giving them birth. So that's when, the, when an offspring says Kaddish. Now if someone, a stranger, says Kaddish, it's really questionable exactly how that helps. But the way it helps is if you're going to get that stranger, meaning you as an officer, you're, you don't go to shul, so you're, you're too busy for your, to say kind of, for your mom. Right, so if he pays someone, so again, he's at least, you know, as you're doing some good in the sense of someone's praying so in public like and saying God's name, right? So the, there is something to it. It's obviously not as good as if the officer himself. So if I understand what you're saying, you can't think of God as a butler. You know, bring me this, bring me that. It's more apparent that you ask and Sometimes the answer is no. I remember yeah. George Glass in this class said sometimes you're just collateral damage. Yeah, that, oh, that's that, a whole different thing. Right, that's something right. else. That's but, a different. But part. it's a cynical, cynical view that, according to this sort of thinking, you may be collateral damage in this situation, maybe even in this world. But there's something that will balance out if you merit the balancing out. I mean, it, it is a problem how you view prayer and what you pray for and how God appreciates prayer. Who yes, really so knows? So, yeah, so again, that's a whole... Who, who said that if 100,000 people are praying or if one person's praying, it's different? Who said that? Sure it's different. What do you mean? Why? It's like anything. God hears. If 100,000 people vote or one person votes, who's going to win vote? the vote? What do you huh? mean? God sees that so many people care about this person staying alive. That's very different. Meaning, because there's two parts to it. One is more the merrier, but besides that, more the merrier. Well, that's more than that. It's it's also 
my prayers, and I'm just um, schlappy if rabbi in Houston. Let's make it ten. No, ten I'm saying one is so. Then I'm praying. I I might have a certain amount of merits, not many. When you have a hundred thousand people, between them, there's going to be a lot of merits that God will have to answer. You understand the difference? Meaning, just like we pray in the name, in the merit of J Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, whatever you pray for. And why do we mention there? Who cares? What do they have to do with my personal Ferrari? I want to make my Ferrari payments. I'm praying in the merit of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What I'm saying is they were meritorious. I might not have sufficient merit, but I'm praying in their merit. Listen, they were good people. He, he, uh, he, They're helping in their merit. Right, so in their merit. So the, the more merits that are praying, the more people that are there's more that are meritorious and are praying, then the better chance prayer could be answered. You're saying that it's so. That's all fine. No, no, I'm saying that's the that's way fine. prayer is based on merit. It's not that the God doesn't have you an open God's checkbook. Positive it's, response to prayer. Yeah, meaning if, if a person did nothing, showed up to show once a year in Kippur, once If it was that way, there would be no doubt about about uh, the the existence of a God. No. It would be it's much more uh, visible. Okay, well, not again. This is a very this is a whole different topic of prayer. We're not focusing on prayer, What's but that we're talking about. No, no, no. <laughs> no I'm saying is the answer when prayers are answered. That's a whole different. Now you're getting into why good things happen to bad people. You're getting totally. 15 philosophical topics, which each one needs four sessions. So, so let's, I'm going to focus on this, but what I'm saying is it's a very simple concept. Yes, God is not a blank checkbook. If a guy never shows up to shul, all of a sudden he, he has a, you know, he wants to make this deal. Now he's showing up to shul, so God will look at him and say, why should I answer you? If the guy's giving charity and he's putting on tefillin and he's keeping Shabbat, he's keeping kosher, you have much better chance your prayers. You're doing what God, it's, it's a two-way street, it's a relationship, like any relationship. You can't come to your wife once a year, show up. And tell tell her what you want, right? If you give her jewelry, give her gifts, and you're, you're nice to her all year, then maybe you'll get what you want. <laughs> and then it's the same thing. God is no different than uh, in any other relationship. Okay. Yes. Okay. So let's let's we gotta move on because we we got we gotta get to the second part. So that's about as far as praying for a miracle. Um, that's one aspect. By the way, this, and it's a big philosophical question because there is Gemaras that say, and some people bring it in this context, some discuss it, which is Gemara says even. Someone has to have faith in God, even Yesh, uh, not the exact language, but uh, there's a knife on his neck. So even when someone has a knife to his neck, he still has to have faith in God that he's going to survive. We never give up. We never, we never, our faith in God shouldn't be just because I'm in this, par you know, there's no chance in this situation. So some people bring this in this context too, that we're not supposed to ever give up. Um, and we're supposed to have faith that God can do anything. So how does that fit with this? So that's that's part of the question here. But most authorities seem to say, halachically, you cannot pray for a miracle. Yeah, because the alternative is you believe God's incapable of doing whatever he wants. Right, so of course we can't believe God's incapable. Right. right. So that's the problem. So we have to believe he's capable, again, like we said, he's capable of miracles. But we're, there is a problem of praying for, for miracles. I want to get to the second part, which is more practical. <coughs> which is what happens when someone is in a situation where they're suffering and they're going through terrible suffering. And in all instances, it would seem um, that it's better for them to die. So should we pray for the death? Can we pray for the death? What should we pray for, etc.? So, so, the, so the, there's, based, there's a few Gemaras which seem to address this. Um, I'm going to start with, if you look at this sheet, number 11, going back to the other sheet, the uh, sheet with the Hebrew on it. Um, it was all plagiarized. I have to give credit. Um, these, I didn't make the handout myself. I stole it from a guy named Rabbi Mordechai Tutsina. I don't know who he is, but I found this. I found his. He quotes some of these, and this was someone else. So I, I just um, 
plagiarized here a little. It's not plagiarized. I mean, he's quoting Gemara. So I'm just too lazy to copy and paste myself. So I need to give credit where credit is due. So the first uh, look at number eleven here. He's this, there's a Gemara Baba Metzia that discusses um, Rish Lakish. We're not going to get into the whole history, but Rish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan were brother-in-laws. As we know, Rish Lakish. If you ever hear the story, there was a, these were two Amoraim in the in the Gemara. Actually, Tanayim, um, I believe. And Rish Lakish actually grew up uh, irreligious. He was a bandit, and at some point in his life. Mixing up with the Rekiva slightly, but he wasn't, uh, he was not Maritz. He started later in life and he ended up marrying um, someone's daughter who was the, uh, the sister of Rabbi Yochanan, I believe. So they were very close, they would argue a lot in halacha. So it says at one point there was a story where um, he, uh, Rish Lakish basically ended up dying. And Yochanan was depressed. He was so depressed, <coughs> basically he wanted to die. So the Gemara says, if you look in number 11, it says, uh, Talmud recounts a relationship fall out of Rabbi Yochanan and Rish Lakish. After Rish Lakish died, Rabbi Yochanan went to depression and lost his, his reason. He couldn't even study anymore and he was in major pain because he, he was so depressed, <coughs> couldn't uh, rule halachic rulings. So, so the rabbis prayed for mercy and Rabbi Yochanan died. So that's one source that they bring that you see when someone's in extreme suffering and pain that they actually prayed for his death in this situation. Okay? Um, they yes. prayed for mercy, is that? Ah, so that's a good point. So the some point out, as Nate is pointing out, that the language of the Gemara says, it says they prayed for mercy. And this is something that I think someone mentioned before. You're meaning, one, this is another option when you're praying for a terminally ill patient, you're not praying that they should die. Because some say that's how it would be. Can you pray? How could you do that? Although we'll see, it's not so simple. So, Praying, what you're saying is, listen, I don't know, this is my wife told me this many times in many situations, not only when it comes to terminally ill patients, and I'm not sure what to do in this situation, whether we're dealing with your teenager, whatever the case is, or should I get the Ferrari or the, or the Tesla or the Maserati. So you pray to God, help me make the right decision. Who knows, whatever the right thing is in the situation, that's what should happen. So you're not praying for the person to die. You're leaving it up to God, but you're not praying for his healing. So, who knows again, because that would be a false prayer, and that might not be the best for him. You're telling God, listen, I don't know what's best for this patient. In my opinion, maybe it's best that he shouldn't live, but I'm leaving it up to you, Hashem. And that's, that is an option, and that, in a certain sense, so you're saying, praying, have mercy on the patient. God will decide what's merciful for this patient. Maybe he'll live, maybe he won't. And again, sometimes getting to your question, back to your question before, is sometimes suffering might be a good thing for the patient in that situation. It erases their sins and they'll get to all about. We, we don't know why people suffer. We do know, but we can't say it in public because um, no one liked the answer. But, but the point is that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that, uh, that, that you're praying, it should be God, you're leaving it up to God. So praying for mercy, as Nate is pointing out, that could be. So this Gemara is not necessarily proof you could pray for someone's death. You're not, you're not praying for them to live, but you're praying, so to speak, to leave it up to Hashem's mercy. Okay, so that's one, wink one wink. point. What? Wink, wink. <laughs> well, not really, because since the, the predicate is everybody's going to die, you don't necessarily have control of the way you're going to die. So praying for mercy seems applicable in almost all situations because yes, they're yes, going to die. But here, later. again, like he's saying, we know what you're really, your intent is, listen, I don't want this guy to live. I don't want to pray for him to live. Uh, so I'm telling you, I'm leaving, I listen, I can't say those words. That's something else. Also, as a family member, and we'll see, some discuss that, that even maybe others could pray for them, but for a family member to pray for someone's death, it's just, it's, 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 problematic in, in many levels, as we'll see. So therefore, my intent is, yes, take this person out of the suffering, is really what we're saying here. But I'm not saying the words, 
kill him. But, but you know yeah, what I'm yeah, suffering could also mean curing. Yeah, again, so that's what he said before, but yeah, but that's, you can't do. So that's, so that's what I'm saying, exactly, so I'm that, leaving it up to God. Nice exactly, it's a very vague language where I'm leaving it up to God, but again, my intent is, it could be, there's could nothing be, wrong with your, t- your intent. You, know, you have a similar situation. No, but you know what your intent is when you're yeah, yeah, but your intent might not be that. For example, we know what's called a double effect. You have a patient who's seriously ill, they're in a lot of pain, and you give them enough morphine to relieve the pain, acknowledging that they may die as a side effect from the morphine. It is not your intent to kill them. You want to relieve their suffering. Yes. Same thing, you're praying for mercy. My intent is not to have them die. I want them to have mercy. Possible, I want their yes. Some people might, but I'm saying right. there are many situations where your intent is. No, but since you you're talking about what you're, what you're permissi- permittable to pray, permissible to pray for, I mean, it would seem it's permissible to pray for relief of suffering, it, but suffering. it doesn't necessarily mean you're praying for them to die. I hear you. Yes, I, I, that's exactly the point. That's what made it point. Yeah, the language here is vague language, which could mean a number of things. But now we're going to find out whether it is permissible to pray for the God. Right. So now, so that's one Gemara. Another Gemara, famous Gemara, which we discussed in the past. It's Gemara in Ketubah about the life of Rebbe. Rebbe, as we know, was uh, Rebbe Huda Nasi, Judah the Prince, who was a very rich fellow, very connected to Caesar. He had everything what we call in in in. Uh, in halachic terms, in Talmud, Talmudic terms, called Ish Ashkoliot. That means he was someone who had political connections, he was a major rabbi, he was very wealthy, a lot of, uh, almost, you know, complete life. And at the end of his life, it says, he had some type of stomach ailment. It's not clear exactly what he had. Um, and he was he was deathly ill, and he was constantly in major going through major suffering, having always to go to the bathroom. It says he was removed his tefillin, put on his tefillin, because he didn't care where tefillin, and he had to go to the bathroom. So he was going through major suffering. So the story is number 12 here on the sheet. It says, when Rebbe became deathly ill, the scholars declared a public fast and prayed for him. Rebbe's maidservant, who was not Jewish, so the scholars were, you have to picture this. Imagine this, you know, you have, uh, he's in the ICU. And he's having major problems. He was in his house those days. And you have all his students, hundreds of students, praying outside the room or at downstairs. And they're all praying for Shalev that he should be healed. They don't want to lose their, their Rebbe. Okay? The maidservant sees what's going on. So it says, um, she, again, she wasn't Jewish. She's Filipino aid. Um, <laughs> um, and she sees what's going on. The suffering is going. Okay? So the Rebbe below, the, so again, Re- Rebbe's maidservant went up to the roof and prayed. And she also was praying. Listen, Jude and Andrew's prayers can work too. On high, they went to Rebbe to join them, and, and he, she, this is what she said. Up high, meaning the Shemaim, wants to, wants to take, wants the Rebbe to join them. Below, students below want the Rebbe to stay with them. Not read the Rebbe. His name was, he was referred to as Rebbe. May it be your will, so her prayer was, may it be your will that those below should prevail. So originally she started praying with the students. He should get. Uh, he should be healed. Let him stay on this earth. We want him here on this earth. We need him here. But when she saw that Rebbe was suffering, it says so much so that he again he was putting on his tefillin. So she changed the prayer. She said, "May it be your will that those above will prevail." She said, "Listen." Now she prayed for his death. Okay, again. Now she's just a maidservant, non-Jewish. Are we going to bring a proof from Halacha? We'll see. So it says the scholars ever continue their constant prayers for his recovery. So they kept them praying. They didn't care what she what the aide is praying for. They were praying he should live. So the so she realized she has no chance. Her prayers against all these students praying, she has no chance. Her prayers are going to be answered. Okay, so so she had to stop. She realized their prayers were sort of like the ventilator keeping him alive. So it says she went up to the roof, made servant took a jar, threw it down from the roof. So she she took this large glass thing, whatever it is, ceramic, threw it off the roof, and it made a big bang. 
and, and everyone stopped praying momentarily. So the sudden crash momentarily disrupted their prayers, and Rebbe sold the part. At that point, he stopped praying, that's it. He, they got him, the Malachamavas got him. Okay? So, um, so they, they didn't know what happened. The sages asked Bakapara to investigate. He went and found Rebbe dead. He went upstairs and they checked, that's it. He was gone. Bakapara tore his garment and reported back. The angels and the mortals both held on to the Holy Ark. Meaning Rebbe, they're both holding on to the Holy Ark. But the angels vanquished the mortals and the Holy Ark has been captured. So that's the famous Gemara. So, fascinating Gemara. Now, what does it have to do with Halacha? Not clear. But, uh, I mean, it's this nice story in the Gemara. It's, it's troubling on many different levels. You have here this non-Jewish maidservant worshiping. Who was right? The Gemara doesn't seem to imply. Who was correct? Listen, at the end of the day, he died. But who was doing the right thing? Also, it's saying that basically their prayers were keeping literally... They stopped praying for a second, all of a sudden now he died. I mean, there's a lot of troubling issues with this Gemara, but we're not going to get into all of them. Take us a few weeks to discuss this. Yeah? There is a later version of the same thing in uh, folklore, where it's the wood pa- the taking window. Taking over Faran? What? Are you taking over Faran? Woodchopper. <laughs> <laughs> no, woodpecker is outside. Yes. Oh, not in folklore. That's in that's in, it's Allah too. Allah talks about that when someone's in the throes of death, you're not allowed to um, stop any noise because. That could startle him and cause him to die. Or well, no, but, but in, the, in yes. this one, the, the woodpeckers and the maid servant goes and closes the window so that the, the woodpecker wood. can't. And then he dies. Then he dies. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's not folklore. It's actually in the Gemara too. It's Is it in Gemara? Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean. Well, I always say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now. Often the angels didn't jump when they heard the loud noise and stop praying. Angels don't jump. They don't have feet. Um, okay, so so the as you never saw the movie Angels Don't. Um, so the, the point is like this. So so interesting enough. So it's a nice story. What's fascinating about the story is that the Ran, who Benunisim, who was a Rishon, brings the story as a proof that one may pray. There are times that one should pray for a patient's death. Okay, so we're going to switch back to this, this sheet. Keep you busy. Pain and suffering. I'm going through a lot of pain and suffering. Help me out. So if you look at number two on the sheet, uh, uh, the first one is the same Gemara, which is in Hebrew, so I showed you in English there. Number two on May one pray for an ill person to pass away. You got it? Manny, you got the right page? May one pray for an ill person to pass away. Top of the page. It says you're on the wrong page. So it says like this. Number two. It says, um, says Rabbein Unisim, Pamim shetzarich levakesh rachamim alachola sheyamus. There are times a person must pray for the death of a patient, of an ill person. As in, a, as in a case where the person is in major pain of his illness, harbe, much pain. It's not possible for him to live. Says Rabbeinu Nisim, who was again early authority, 14th century Spain, in, in the Durham, where he's going on the Gemara that discusses you should pray, you have to visit a patient. We, we did this Gemara a few months back. Gemara says when you do Bikur Cholim, it's not enough to just visit them and, and uh, change the channels for them and bring them flowers and hang up a nice Hallmark card. You have to pray for them. Prayer is the key part of Bikur Cholim, as we discussed. Okay? <coughs> says, on that, and the Gemara says if someone doesn't pray for an ill patient, they haven't fulfilled the mitzvah of Bikur Cholim. You can, you can bring the guy nice flowers, cards, his favorite Cheetos, whatever you bring him, potato chips. Um, it's not enough. You need to literally pray. Prayer is a big part of Bikachal. That's a key part of the mitzvah. Says the Ran on that Gemara, and it says someone who doesn't pray for him, it's as if, uh, as if they haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. Says the Ran on that Gemara, that there are times you need to pray for the person's death too. 
Not only you have to go see the patient, why? He says you have to go up to see the patient. Because you just, you know, hear about it. You might not know. He might be going through such suffering that you want to pray for his death, said the Rambam. And he quotes the story of Rebbe as his source. Okay? So here you have the first statement of an authority, early authority, stating that you should, not only can you pray for someone's death, you should pray for someone's death. You hear that? Yes. If this were really normative Judaism, you would expect to have, in addition to a Mishaberach prayer, a prayer for somebody to die. Uh, we don't okay. have that prayer as far as I know. That's what I said, we do. We, we do, do. okay. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, it is. So now, so, so first, before we get to the prayer, once again, we'll get there in a second. Um, so there is the only one, by the way, the only Rishon who understands, who brings this story as a proof yeah. text, is the Ran. No other authority brings it, and more so, it's not brought in any subsequent codification of the Talmud. So the Ran is a very nice explanation, but the Shulchan Aruch doesn't quote it, the Tur Beis Yosef, all the codif- codifiers of the Talmud um, do not bring this law of praying for someone's death. There's a whole chapter in Shulchan Aruch dealing with praying for patients and Bikrocholim, etc. There's a whole, I don't remember how many Sifim it is, uh, whatever it is, ten paragraphs. And none of those six, I think, actually. But they do not mention this halach, and it's not brought by, uh, by any of the codifiers. So the question is, practically, is it applicable or not? So, so first of all, what are you praying for? So there is a prayer, to actually, in the bottom of this page, if you want to see the prayer. Someone wrote a prayer here. Um, it's Pachad Yitzchak. I don't know. Um, so he says like this, according to Tzitz Eliezer, he says, Ana Hashem, I'll read in the Hebrew, and the translation is there. Ana Hashem, B'koach Rachamacha, with the might, with the power of your great mercy, Harabim, abundant Suberov, Chazdecha, and your abundant kindness, Hagdolim, Yihiratzon Fanecha, may it be your will, Hashem, Shetotzi um, Mimasker Asir, that uh, we um, take from the prisons where the chained souls are found, the soul of Ploni Ben Plonis, of Blank Ben Blank, Jane John Doe Ben Jane Doe, um, mm-hmm. and remove them from his or her suffering speedily in our day um, and let his spirit return to God who gave the spirit in the first place okay so again this is not in your found in your article sitter um, probably for good reason can, can you, look, at, can you look a little more carefully at the Hebrew because you, know, yeah. you can read that several ways you can ask him to remove him or her from his suffering you know, so the suffering can be diminished but not necessarily by getting dead and let the spirit is it is it two separate things relieve the suffering and ultimately let the spirit return to God or is it relieve the suffering by his spirit it says speedily in our day you're not saying uh, you know let the guy ride it out you know give well, him six it, months the uh, doctors uh, gave him let's get the show on the road here I mean, well, it's very, pretty clear what this prayer is saying I don't think there's any vagueness I mean again you're not uh, saying he should die you're not saying that's why it's again, not an art scroll right I mean, you're not saying the words <laughs> kill a guy you're not saying strike him dead you know he should walk and get hit by a Mack truck you're not being so blunt but it's pretty blunt <laughs> I don't think there's any question what the let me back up. You know, you can, with each passing year, palliative care is finding more and more ways to relieve patients' pain, physical pain anyway, including good terminal sedation, so that, uh, or palliative sedation. <coughs> but are, you have to acknowledge, at least in theory and I think in practice as well, there are people whose physical suffering cannot be relieved, no matter what you do. You have do palliative sedation, you put them in a coma for three days, they wake up, they're hurting just as bad as when you put them in the coma. 
praying for that person to die versus praying for relief for their suffering or for God to have mercy are two different things. And I'm still not clear... Okay, this prayer is clearly written with that intent to have them die. Again, we're not going to use those words because it's just, that's too blunt meaning. But but again, prayer is done in poetic language. We all pray, we try to do it. Don't say, you know, God, I want to so pray. from what you're describing... Come in. My point is like this. So it's, it's, it's a, you bring up three different points in your question. Yeah. Uh, but, but let me, I'm just going to focus. So this prayer is no question. It's clear, to me, it's clear what it's asking. Again, it has to be said. Yeah, well, point. we didn't say it. We're going to get there. Um, the, the the other point you brought up is today, maybe there are much more ways to relieve someone from their suffering than they had in the past, which is a good point. So then, maybe this whole question is no longer applicable, even though we find it in earlier sources. In those days, they didn't have ways that we have today to relieve someone from their suffering. So maybe today you don't. It's, it's not as applicable, and some make that argument that today, where if you can take the person out of the suffering, of course you're obligated to do that. Or maybe it's optional, but, but uh, yeah. The answer to the question is, it says to relieve the suffering quickly, and then to return Exactly. To That's what it says. Yeah, well, obviously, yeah. but again, but one leads to the other. As opposed to relieve the suffering by taking a spirit Yeah, but I, right think, now. I think that's it's inferred. It's end. Well, I'm not sure. I think it's inferred. Because i got to finish the topic today, so I want to get it, and then we can talk about So I want to finish the topic, because I don't have to come back to it. So practically speaking, as I mentioned, halachically, none of the kadafars, the original kadafars, meaning the Torah, Bez Yosef, Rif, Rush, and the Shulchan Aruch up to do not do not bring this in halacha even up to modern day times there is one exception this is a book written it's called the Orach HaShulchan in words Shulchan Aruch this is the Orach HaShulchan it was re- it was sort of a I don't know a bridge version but he redid the Shulchan Aruch in a much more readable with, with much more explanation of the reasons behind the halacha so he does bring this and if I could find it quickly it would be nice I got to mark it off sorry but he does bring this halacha um, when he clarifies. Again, this was written recently, not recently but uh, he, I think he died in the, I would guess, the 20s, or 20s, late 20s, early 30s. So he in, in lived in Poland. Um, his name was Yechiel Michal Epstein. Let me make sure I got that correct. Yechiel Michal Epstein. Um, so he is famous. Actually, this was the um, sort of the almost accepted version of Halacha prior to the war in Europe, before the Chafetz Chaim wrote his Mishnah Bura, this was the go-to book. Um, still is for many. So he says, in, the, in these laws, he says, Yesh Omim. see if I can find it quickly. Maybe I'm not going to find so quickly. I'm going to bring it Sources. Um, can't find it, but it's here. Oh, here, here it is. I got it. So he says he explains in in uh, Siv Gimel here in this. Chapter in the Shulchan Aruch that's discussing Bikur Cholim. He says, "Ikar mitzvah," as we mentioned, Bikur Cholim will ilayim etzarche chola, take care of the needs of the chola, and to do what he needs, and to pray for him. And he says, um, he says like this: Al Kain, uh, he says, "Great reward, kolim vakas chola, 
you saved from uh, from Gehenim, and he says you get reward in this world. It's a great mitzvah, one of the greatest mitzvahs. Um, and he says, You're causing him to live. She because you pray Shiyichya, pray for his life that he should live. He's quoting the Gemara. You don't pray for him. The Lepamim, he says, and this is the words of the Ran, um, sometimes, he says, a person needs to pray, needs to pray for mercy, for mercy that the person should die. In a case where, where he has terrible suffering because of his illness. There's no way he's going to live. So he has, again, there's two criteria, very important. I want to make it clear one thing again. We never do an action to cause someone's death. That's never done. can never be done in Allah, and well, that's not for today's class, but what he's saying is, pray, in this case, um, you need two criteria to pray for someone's death, he's saying. One is, person has to be terminal, where the doctor says, there's no, there's no way he's coming out of this illness. Number two, um, he has to be extreme suffering. As the story of Rebbe. So he's using the story, and he's codifying it as law, that one does go ahead and actually pray for the death. Yes. This is this is a very problematic prayer for a couple of reasons. One, suffering is entirely subjective. True. Entirely. True. So when someone decides this suffering merits their death, that's a very subjective statement. True. Secondly, if you permit people to pray for someone to die, it's just a small step to saying, you know, I'll kill them. Now, I understand you're not Slippery permitted slope. to do that. Slippery but slope. if you permit people to pray for someone to die based on their subjective analysis of somebody else's suffering, you're opening up an enormous you. Pandora's box. Yeah, you loud and clear. That's true. That doesn't mean we're going to change that. So, it is no, I, I, I hear the problem. Is it, is it permissible to pray for somebody to die? Based on that, so so let me just tell you. So, so the Sitz Eliezer and many others say the that since we don't find the story codified anywhere besides the Archa and even in the Gemara, it's only one, in, one early authority understands the Gemara in this manner. So they, many of them say, you cannot do it. It's not normative. It's not normative Allah. That's why the Shulchan does not bring it, etc. So, for example, he's of the opinion, that of opinion, that you shall not pray, can't pray for someone's death. Um, the Tzitz Eliezer also, Tzitz Eliezer Wallenberg, he says a fascinating distinction and related to what you're saying. He's saying, uh, he's saying, and, and he, by the way, Moshe Feinstein addresses it also. He seems to imply that it's okay to pray for someone's death, but you need to be very careful in assessing, first of all, can they really live and how much suffering he, does, he addresses that. And he says, he could, and, and also, do our prayers really help today? He says, we don't know, our prayers are not as if, uh, efficacious, is the word, I guess? Yeah. If I'm pronouncing correctly. And, um, as, as prayers in the past, therefore, he seems to. To be on the fence, whether it's futile treatment, in other words. Right, meaning uh, your, who said your prayers are going to help? In those days, they help. So he goes back and forth. I'll read to you in a second. But um, some understand that he's saying not to do it. That's what he, he understands. Ramosha, I don't agree with him. I think Ramosha is allowing it, and there are others as we'll see who allowed it. But he has a since Eliezer has a fascinating distinction here. He says because he brings he was also a Sephardi, uh, Sephardi authority early on in the. 1800s, or Chaim Palaji in Baghdad, who has a response where he allowed, in a safer chikhelev, he there was a woman who was burnt in a fire, or whatever degree burnt she had, she was suffering terribly for 20 years or something, and she was she kept on saying stop, she was a big 
obviously on her family, a big burden, and she did not want to live anymore. She, and for her family's sake, she said, I don't want to, please pray for my death. They came to the Chaim Palaji, and he did allow to pray in that situation for the death. But Chaim Palaji makes this distinction, which he's very keen on. One second, one second, because i got to finish before 9.30, and then we'll ask questions. So the, the Chaim Palaji says like this, he didn't, and, and, and uh, to the others of agreement, that even if we're going to allow prayer for someone's death, it's only in certain situations with a lot of criteria, a list of criteria, where, and it can't be a family member praying because of what you're saying, because mm-hmm. they have, they're so biased and their intent, we don't know. They themselves might not understand. As we were saying before, they might be doing for selfish reasons, and they're the caretakers, so they should not be the ones praying. Plus, he says, it looks terrible. They're going to come to Shul. The guy's praying in Shul, you know, mm-hmm. my mother should die. <laughs> Please, God, have mercy. He opens the air and goes. He says that we can't allow that to happen. Therefore, he says, the only one he allows to pray is non-family members to pray, because they're going to be more objective, objective in in, in deciding when when those prayers are necessary, as opposed to family member, so that's his distinction. He says, therefore, family member should never pray. It has to be someone outside the family who has who we know is objective and who it's you know doesn't have this aspect of perception or whatever. So uh, no, go ahead, I got to finish. Oh, okay, okay no, no. So now, uh, to, interestingly enough, again, like I said, Ramosha Feinstein and Shlomo Zalman both seem to be of the opinion that you can pray for someone's death. Ramosha Feinstein actually, people were so shocked by his answer that he has, he kept on, they kept on asking, were you sure that's what you meant? That, and he keeps on saying, they yes, what's so hard to They were so upset they prayed for his death. So he, he clearly, <laughs> in, he has a long response there to a physician to, uh, actually this was not, this is to Sean Tender, his grandson, but he, he says very clearly, um, in the case, um, find it quickly, but he don't have enough time to go through it. But he says very clearly that one may pr- pray for someone's death. And quoting the Ran, I'll just read it to you quickly. He says, um, and it, th- by the way, there's another problem because, and th- which we didn't get to discuss, and we're not going to have enough time to discuss. Which is in the story of Rebbe and her maidservant. You see, the rabbis were praying that he should live. So we're going with the maidservant. Why is the Ran picking the halacha like the maidservant as opposed to the, to the rabbis? All the students, he had hundreds of rabbis praying. What's going on here? So that's another action. They say, how could the Ran... If the, if the rabbis would also pray for the death, okay, then you have a nice proof from the story, maybe. But here, you, there was two opinions, clearly. They clearly did not agree with her. They continued to pray, even though they, he was suffering. Okay, she was maybe more objective in that case. That's part of the question. Because she saw his suffering, or you could say the opposite. She was less objective. But we're going, the Ran is paskining like the non-Jewish ma- aid, is a, you know, maidservant who's c- from some, uh, you know, Why do we some, as opposed to the rabbis. Amsa, whenever the language of Amsa, doesn't say her name. Amsa, the rabbi, she was famous, first of all. She was the, Amsa is Aramaic for maidservant. You don't have Jewish maids. It's like you don't have uh, Jewish aides. The inference is that the outcome, which is uh, Rebbe's death, was caused by her prayer. You know, we have the whole right. story oh, about so that's, that's the walls coming yes. in, the rivers yeah, yeah. going back. So so, no, 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 I'm sorry, it doesn't work that right. way. You know, so God true. says, I make my own decisions, I don't need, you know. So, but this is where, where he understands from Moshe Feinstein, Rabbi Weiss understands that Moshe Feinstein is sort of wavering because he does say like this. He brings a story like the Ran, he quotes the Ran, and he says, um, he says, maybe who When we see the prayers of the rabbis weren't being answered, so he's addressing that issue. 
Listen, in our door, in, in our low-down generation, that's not applicable. Feel would go to Torah, even for great Torah scholars. You, know, you can't compare, meaning just because your prayers are not answering doesn't mean, okay, it means that it's hopeless. Now, he's saying part of the issue was there, you had the rabbis versus, versus uh, I'm saying the fact, like you're, right. as you're saying, that they want, that they, they saw their prayers weren't being answered. That alone shows that, that clearly they, they were in the wrong. But he's saying today you have no, you don't have those two sides because our prayers are, are not as uh, nowhere near the prayers of those generations. It's maybe some special holy people shall you do a land that we don't know about them. He says I don't know any such people who their prayers are answered. <laughs> <laughs> they, those people, maybe could do like the Ran Shu Karebi Kirav Dimi the Pasak style that Dimi rules that sometimes you have to pray like the answer the Rebbe like that case. He says again, he stre- stresses this is only with prayer. Of course, you can't do any action. That's clearly prohibited. Even if it's for the mercy and it's for the good of the person, you still don't kill the person um, with action. Okay, so, that, so therefore he says that he's saying not to do it. But clearly, you see, Rabbi Feinstein believes in the concept. He's saying, okay, we have Which a problem. Concept? The concept of praying for someone's day. You can't do that. Just We have a technical problem today. We don't know how to pray properly. But that's really his problem. Now, I want to point out, from Shlomo Zalman Orbach also seemed, seems to imply in his response that you could pray for someone's death. I also found yesterday, quickly, you know, Yosef, um, it's actually, this is a, a book, it's like a, it's a 14 volume book, one of the many, uh, Yosef, which is Yartzai, was this week. His son is now the Rav Rashi, the Sephardic Rav Rashi. So he wrote over 14 volumes of his father's rulings. In one of the, in, it's only one of the, also has a six volume response, himself published. But he discusses this question and he says very clearly a story, fascinating. He brings all these proofs and not proofs. And he says a story with his father. He says that one day, he says 30 years ago, he was sitting in the Bet Midrash in, in Harnoff, where his father lived, and the father came into the kolo, it's called, uh, um, and, and, and asked for a minion. He says there was a, a big donor from Geneva who called up that he has a relative or some, I don't know, the relation, an employee, sorry, an employee of his bank in Geneva who lives in Israel, who is terminally ill in a hospital, he's suffering greatly, and Ravadia took a minion out, out of the yeshiva, they went to the hospital, which is, he doesn't say which hospital, it's in mid-central mid Israel, and he says they prayed in the room for his death with a minion. They took the minion, he says the story, with his father, and they prayed for the person's death, he said everyone, we were all shocked, all the students there had never seen this before, and they prayed for the person's death. The right room. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, and he says, soon after the person passed away. He doesn't say exactly when. Soon afterwards, but so he's telling you, Rabbi Vadi clearly held Vadi Yosef that you could do this. Um, so, so very clearly in contemporary times, again, it's not normative, but all these great rabbis seem to be of the opinion that it's possible. Again, Rabbi Weiss says you can't, and Tzitz Eliezer says. Maybe only non-family members, surely not family members, could do it. So there's a lot various opinions, but again, um, the concept clearly exists in Al-Akha that we recognize that there are times that a person shouldn't, uh, shouldn't, be, shouldn't be alive. It's better that they don't live. That's a very clear concept.